Our first scripture reading today is from Romans chapter 3. Uh, as we preach through the Old Testament, through the book of Psalms, we're reading out of the New Testament book of Romans, which is actually the, the song we just sang for the life of the world. It has a number of the lines uh, that come out of Romans 3. But Evelyn's going to come and read it for us. Evelyn, if you would. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. All right, we are in a series this summer uh, in the book of the Psalms. Uh, we're preaching through book one of the Psalms, which is kind of like 1 through 41, and we're just uh, taking a selection of them. So as you can see from the back middle panel of your bulletin, we're in Psalm 27 this morning. Uh, before I preach, uh, Tyler's going to come and read it, so please follow along as he reads. Tyler. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have written, risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Sorry, my apologies for that. Uh, one, one parent at the front and two children need help. Uh, things can get a little tricky sometimes in our family. Uh, but we're going to spend some time uh, reflecting on Psalm 27 together. In C.S. Lewis's book on the Psalms, uh, he has a chapter about Psalm 27. And his chapter is entitled, The Fair Beauty of the Lord. 
And what his chapter is about, it's a reflection and it's an investigation of the line in Psalm 27, verse 4, that Tyler just read, where David, King David insists, all he wants to do is dwell in the house of the Lord every day, gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and inquire in his temple. Now that phrase, the fair beauty of the Lord, it's not found in the ESV, the translation that we just read, uh, but it's from the Book of Common Prayer. It's an older translation of this psalm, and, and Lewis, as a good Anglican, would have used and heard that translation regularly. David wants to gaze upon the fair beauty of the Lord. Now, that's a lovely phrase, more poetic in some ways than the ESV. It, it moves the heart, but what does it mean? And maybe more to our point, why is it the one thing that David wants more than anything else? Imagine afterwards, we could take a few moments together and I could ask you, what is the one thing you want from God? You can only choose one, so tell me and make it good. What would you ask for? Perhaps you'd want a sense of God's presence. Maybe you want indisputable proof that he exists. Maybe you want him to act in some particular way, you know, save someone in your family, send you a spouse, send you a child, send you a good job, something like that. If you made a list of all the things you'd want from the Lord... Would gazing upon the fair beauty of him be anywhere on your list? So we have to ask, what does David know that we do not? Well, what, what does David understand that we are ignorant of? And if it is something extremely good that you'd really, you should really, really, really want, how do we get that same kind of desire? That's what we're going to be talking about today from Psalm 27. I'm going to take this psalm in three sections. I've actually borrowed the section titles from an outline that Tim Keller had once upon a time, so thank you to Tim for that help. But the outline goes like this. Why do we need the fair beauty of the Lord? What is the fair beauty of the Lord? What are we actually talking about? And then third, how do we get it? So first, why do we need it? What is the setting of this psalm? Well, sometimes there's like a little superscription, a little, a little something in the title that tells us what's going on. But in this case, all we get is a simple of David. Okay, so King David wrote it. Check. What about the content of the psalm itself? What do we find in here in the first few verses in particular uh, about from which David is writing about gazing upon the fair beauty of the Lord? What's going on in his life? Well, let's start at verse 1. David calls God his light, his salvation, and his stronghold. Now, when does one need a light? Well, when you are in the darkness. When does one need salvation? When does one need to be saved? When life is at risk or gravely threatened. When does one need a stronghold? When you're under attack. It quickly becomes clear in verse 1 and then also in verse 2 and 3 that many serious, bad, difficult things are happening to and around David. Look at verse 2. He is being assailed by evildoers. To be assailed, that's a bit of an older word, but it's like an attack. Someone's coming at you to do you harm. David says his assailants are trying to eat his flesh. I don't think this is meant to be taken literally. We don't believe he's under assault from some, you know, rogue tribe of cannibals. But it's an indication of severity. They're trying to tear David limb from limb. Look at verse 3. A whole army is encamped against him. War is breaking out. Those are not small problems. If you have whole armies attacking you, something big is going on. See, we might think that when someone expresses a desire to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, they're expressing that desire out of some calm, deep, contemplative, you know, phase of life. 
couple of years ago, I spent a few days in a cabin. I was trying to do some writing and thinking and hiking. And I booked a cabin, actually, that you had to hike to. So you kind of parked just off, you know, some side road or whatever. And then you had to carry all your food and, and bedding, and in my case, all my books or whatever, about two kilometers down like an ATV-type trail to this remote cabin. And so I arrived at this cabin. It was quiet and still. There's no humans around. I was sort of mildly terrified of bears. But besides that, just, you know, enjoying the stillness of the place. And when I picture this phrase, when I picture someone saying, man, I want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and think deep thoughts about God, maybe you, like me, picture a cabin in the woods, remote, quiet, undisturbed. But according to Psalm 27, that is not the only place where one ought to contemplate the the beauty of the Lord, because that's not the setting of the psalm. The setting of the psalm is not a remote cabin in the woods. It's like a medieval war movie. Evildoers are attacking, armies are assembling, uh, strongholds are being set up and being fled to. It's dark and foreboding. See, why do we need the fair beauty of the Lord? Because we, just like King David, we exist in the day of trouble. Now you'll be tempted to respond. There's no armies assembling outside of here, outside of uh, off my front porch. No armies are assembling against me. I'm not having to scroll realtor.ca, you know, looking, is anyone selling a castle that I can go hide out in or whatever? Fair enough. But the variety of emotions and images, it expresses a wide range of human experience. I think these images can be applied in, in, in a myriad of ways. Think about it this way. Do any of us feel besieged by the demands of work? you got a boss that just won't relent. Anyone feeling, thinking that the people who live in your house are sometimes your enemies? Anyone need a stronghold from the low rumble of anxiety or depression or greed or whatever in your heart? Anyone need a light because it feels like you're in your life, you're wandering around in the darkness, there's no path, you keep running into trees? Whatever the fair beauty of God is, and we're going to get to that, Whatever it means to inquire of God in his temple, this is not only meant for a remote cabin, kilometers from the nearest human. This is not some kind of escapist mysticism. It's not a trick of the mind or anything else. Gazing upon the beauty of the Lord is meant for times of trouble. It's meant for difficulty. Meant even for war. And sometimes it can feel, when you come into places like this, that, that church and God and, and religion are meant to be a kind of escape from the real world. And sometimes you'll hear this language from people like me. We'll stand up at the front on Sunday morning and we'll say something like, just leave your week behind. Leave all your worries at the door. Just focus on God. I mean, maybe sometimes, but I think King David would say, my worries, my week, that's what brought me through the door. That's why I'm here. I'm here to learn how God impacts the evil and the terror, the, just the anxiety of regular life. See, if we are going to take Jesus and God and the Bible seriously, this has to be the way. This has to be the place where we deal not with fake life, but with real life. Because our lives aren't perfect. There's plenty of trouble You don't have to sort of scratch too far under the surface for most of us to understand there are hard things going on. Maybe not life-threatening things, fair enough. Marriage-threatening, joy-threatening, faith-threatening. Why do we need the fair beauty of the Lord? This is a question we're asking. Because life is full of trouble. 
Big troubles, little troubles. And David arrives at verse 4 in all kinds of difficulty. So what kind of trouble are you in? You can just name it. <laughs> you can name your enemies, name your anxieties, your worries, your fears. It doesn't give them, give them power, but like David, it sort of drags them into the light where they can be dealt with. Okay, let's talk about part two. What does it mean then? What is the fair beauty of the Lord? We talked about why we need it. What is it? Let's pick it up at the top of verse four. David says he only wants one thing. And again, let's just stop right there. He only wants one thing. Of all the things we've talked about so far, he doesn't want evil enemies to be stopped. He doesn't want these armies to be dispersed so they won't, they won't invade or whatever. Perhaps. But at the top of David's priority list, he says there's one thing. What is it? He uses three phrases to describe it. He says he wants to dwell in God's house every day. He wants to gaze upon God's beauty. That's what we've been using as shorthand for all of this. And he wants to inquire of God in his temple. What does it mean to dwell in God's house? Is, is this David saying, I want to become a priest? I, I don't think so. Is this David saying, I want a, like a, a bedroom or my palace attached to the temple? So I don't, I don't think that's what he's talking about. What David wants, what he's looking for, is the day-by-day -day experience of God's presence. See, Israelites had a different notion of God's presence than, than we do normally. Though they, like we, believed God filled the world, he ruled over it, he's everywhere, they also believed, rightly so, that God was specially present in the temple. And if you read the Old Testament, once in a while you'll come across this phrase where the Old Testament calls the temple God's footstool. Like God's present everywhere, but somehow part of him is, is, is in the temple. And when the Israelites went to the temple, they would expect to, and they often did experience, God's presence in a special way. He would feel close. And this is what David wants. David wants to feel God close by, even on these hard days, even in the midst of trouble. If you look a little bit later in the psalm, David asks to be hidden in God's shelter. That's in verse 5. David asks God, please don't hide your face from me. Face and presence, these are nearly sort of synonymous ideas. David wants a day-by-day -day experience of God. Now, in, in what way does he want that? See, many people in the Old Testament, again, as you read through it, they experience God's presence in different ways. If you, if you know the story of Isaiah in Isaiah 6, he has this vision of God, and he's sort of carried up to God's throne room. And, and in that vision, in the presence of God, Isaiah experiences God's holiness, God's magnificence, and he says, I am undone. He feels woe. He feels unworthy. Is that the kind of presence David wants to experience day by day? Not exactly. He wants to experience God's power, yes, but he says he wants to gaze upon God's beauty. He wants the day by day experience of God's beauty. What, what does that mean? What is the beauty of the Lord? Is David using this phrase the way that we speak of physical beauty? If you say, that man, that woman is beautiful, I, I don't think it's being used the same way because God is spirit and therefore isn't beautiful in the same way that a physically beautiful person is. Well, what is it? I think we have to get at it by analogy. It's the only way I could think to explain it. So think of a sunset or a sunrise. Maybe you've been camping recently or at a cottage, a calm lake, majestic mountain, and if, while sitting there, looking at, it, at that, you, you say something like, wow, isn't that beautiful? What do you mean when, you, when we say that? Well, what we mean is that we are experiencing some kind of pleasure merely in the perception 
of, of the sight. Something, something in us, somewhere in us, it feels good just to, just to look at, just to be in the presence of, of that sunrise, that for a moment, I don't need to be doing anything else. Put my phone down. No, I, I, can just, I can just enjoy whatever is happening right there, whatever I'm looking at. And by the way, this happens the same way for beautiful people. If you're married, if you find your spouse beautiful, I hope you do, there's a kind of joy, there's a kind of happiness in just looking at, understanding, being with, perceiving your spouse. See, what David is saying is profound, that to grasp God, not to look at him with our eyes, but to grasp his nature with our hearts has a kind of pleasure to it, has a kind of deep, good feeling that, that calms us. See, what is the beauty of the Lord? It's not another attribute. It's not like, oh, it's his you know, power, majesty, beauty. It, the beauty of God is the working together of all the attributes. It's the whole, not, not the parts. In the same way, the beauty of the sunset, it, it's the whole. It's partially the colors. It's partially the end of the day. It's partially the, 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 the slight warmth of the fading sun. It's the whole, not, not just one piece. The beauty of God is the excellence, the brilliance of all of him working in concert as we know him, that we find God attractive in some deep part of ourselves, that he makes sense of our world, that he calms us, that he gives us this sense of pleasure and satisfaction. This is what David says, or is what David means when he says he wants to gaze upon the fair beauty of the Lord. And this fits neatly with the third phrase that David says he wants to inquire of God in his temple. David wants to experience the wholeness of God. But he also wants to push his mind to understand the God, this God. David wants to ask questions. That's what it means to inquire. It's to ask things. He wants to plumb God's depths. He isn't content with a mere surface understanding. It's like he wants to enjoy the sunset, but he also has questions about how it works. Why does the sun change color? Why does it disappear over the horizon? You know, there are things to inquire about. Imagine you went on a first date, and uh, you took some time, and you asked some questions, and you figured out the other person's uh, birthday, their favorite color, and their shoe size. And then imagine you sort of dusted off your hands and said, I guess that's all I need to know. I know everything I need to know. Well, that wouldn't be much of a relationship. There are depths that need to be discovered. Do they like surprise parties? Do they like the beach? But also the more serious stuff, how do they respond when they're betrayed? How do they react when they find out they are sick and they're, or they're dying? There are untold depths to a person. And David wants God to be close. He wants to experience the wholeness of God, but he wants to understand that God. But all this about the beauty of the Lord, it kind of leads us to something important. There's a difference between pursuing God for his beauty and pursuing God in mere awareness. And let, let me try to explain. So when I went to university, a long while ago, I was a science major. But for all my electives, I took arts classes. Should have been a clue, probably. Uh, but in my third year, I took a first-year class about jazz music. It was called, like, Appreciation of Jazz or, or, or something like that. So my friend Alex and I, we'd go to the cafeteria, we'd get a booster juice. Then we'd go over to that mysterious music building that we never went inside, you know, and we'd try to, you know, get some culture. And a big part of the class was listening to jazz music. The professor would you know, stand at the front and he'd, he'd say, here's why this song is important, here's why this record is important, here's why this musician is important. And he's like, when you, I'm going to play a song, listen for the, the trumpet, listen for the drums or whatever. And then when it came to the exam, 
there was going to be a listening exam where the professor would just play a random song and we had to know the artist and, and why it was important and so on. And I remember cramming for my jazz exam, listening to John Coltrane and Dizzy Gillespie and all the rest, and trying to stuff all the information, all the important like jazz facts in my head so I could do well on, on my exam. What was I doing when I was studying? I wasn't enjoying the jazz music. I wasn't, I wasn't there for the beauty of jazz. The music was an end to something else. Some people put on jazz music by choice. Maybe you're one of them. Helps you unwind. You like the, the, the artistry, the improvisation. You enjoy it. It moves you on some deep level. And others like me in university, we put on jazz because we want to do well in class. Same music, same artists, different ends. Some people gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire of him because they enjoy him, because they want to be close to him, because they find him profoundly pleasurable. Others of us come to God because he's useful. He's just a means to an end. Same God, different ends. And what David wants in the midst of all his great troubles, which really exceed probably nearly all of ours, what David wants in his day of trouble is God. He doesn't just want mere resolution to his problems. He wants God. He wants to feel God's presence and understand him and to see how he impacts his life. He wants to know God even as his enemies encircle him and, and press in. So perhaps this is a question many of us need to wrestle with. Do we want God in the midst of our troubles or do we just want our troubles to go away? I mean, sometimes you get both. But David says, there's one thing I want. When I have to choose, David says, I want God. God's presence, God's beauty to understand this God. Okay, let's talk about part three. How do we get it? Because at this point of the sermon, if you're wired a bit like me, you're thinking, okay, pastor, I see your point. My life has some trouble. I can see how the fair beauty of God is supposed to help me. But I feel far from that. I, I, I don't want God, I just want God to fix me. And maybe you're wondering, how do I change? How do I get my heart to work differently? How do I become someone who enjoys the fair beauty of the Lord? Well, look at verses 7, 8, and 9. In these verses, David makes a string of requests of God, and they all sound kind of urgent. He asks God to hear him, that David says, when I cry aloud, he asks God to be gracious and answer. He asks God not to hide his face from him. He asks God not to turn away from him in anger. He asks God not to cast him off, not to forsake him. Now, why would David make these requests? Presumably because that's exactly what's happening. Remember, David's under attack from all these enemies. He's experiencing all kinds of trouble. He said he wants God's beauty to be obvious in his life. But we find out he's still struggling. He does not sense God's presence. He says, I'm trying to seek your face, but I feel cast off and forsaken and desperate. So as we talk about how do we become people who desire God and his beauty, I need to tell you something that's hard to hear. One of the ways that God helps us desire him is by cutting off other avenues of help. In his kindness... God sometimes removes things that we have leaned on that we might trust him more. David is desperate for God because God is all he has. If you look at verse 10, he's like, his father and mother have forsaken him. Jesse, 
Jesse's wife, we don't know her name, they, they've given up on David. He can't go to them for help. In fact, if you read through the whole psalm, and like, I'm going to find, is there any other clue? Is there any other support or friend or community or any kind of help that, that's going to come and, and, and support David? You're not going to find any. There's none here. David is on his own. He's up against problems that no earthly being can help him with. And even God, who according to verse 8, has commanded David, seek my face, he also seems absent. So I would simply put the question to you. Does anyone today feel like I'm doing the right things? I'm trying to seek God. I'm trying to gaze upon the fair beauty of the Lord. And it feels like it's all falling flat. Anyone feeling cast off, unheard, that God is hiding from you? There's a songwriter I've come to enjoy. His name is Paul Zach. And he wrote this album called Sorrow's Got a Hold of Me. He half-jokingly calls it his Sad Church Songs album. Uh, but he, he talks about why he wrote the songs on this album. Uh, he said that I, every week, he would, he would write songs every week when he got back from some intensive therapy that he was doing following some trauma in his life. And what he says is that some people, when they experience great trouble and hardship, they sense God's presence in a special way, that God feels very close. And, and Paul Zach says, that was not my experience. And in his case, he says, my, my trauma in my difficulty, God felt further away, not closer. And one of the songs is simply called, Where Are You Now? And Paul Zach sings lines from the Psalms where God promises to be close to the brokenhearted or, or close to all those in trouble. And he simply asks, okay, then where are you? I think Paul Zach and King David would have some things in common. Because David is not experiencing God's closeness, but he is keenly sensing God's absence. How do you get a desire for God? The difficult answer from Psalm 27 is sometimes through God's seeming absence and distance. Sometimes when every other answer has been cut off, every other source of help, people who, can, who understand, I can't do life on my own, the problems I'm facing are insurmountable, and I need God, sometimes we grow, we get a desire for God through silence and frustration. Now, I will say, to be faithful to the text, this psalm ends on a note of hope. Verse 13, it's a kind of statement of, uh, of faith and confidence in God. It's his confidence that God is eventually going to come through, that though David finds himself in a time of waiting, in a time when courage and strength are being called for, that God will eventually answer. Now, where does David get that faith from, that confidence? Well, a number of times David says he gets it from the temple, or he uses the, the, the tent of God, which is like another word for tabernacle. He gets his confidence from the presence of God with him. And now you'll want to protest. Yeah, but we don't have a temple. We don't have a place where we can go where God feels closer. Sometimes I feel close to God in church. Other times I don't. Where can we go to get the confidence that God is eventually going to show up, that he's not going to cast us off forever? Well, oddly, I think the answer is the same. We have to go to the temple. But in our case, the temple is, a pl is not a place but a person. We learn in the New Testament, Jesus Christ is the new temple. He is the place where people meet God. 
In Jesus Christ, we understand we have not been cast off forever. God will come and rescue. God will provide a way of salvation. When we want to revel in the fair beauty of the Lord, the clearest place we see it is in the nature and character of God, is is in Jesus. He is the full picture of God. In whatever trouble you find yourself, in whatever difficulty you are in, the scriptures would say, look to Jesus gaze upon his beauty, inquire of him, and he will not let you down. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this psalm, which speaks to all of us who are also in trouble, who are also being assailed by different kinds of evil. But we also realize we are not the kind of people who desire your beauty above all else. Would you please make us into those kind of people? Make us the kind of people who can wait patiently for you, that we, who will believe faithfully that we will see your goodness in the land of the living. Help our hearts to take courage. Help us to look to Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.